Well, good morning, Tam Tam. That's what I had to do today. What did you have to do today? I did a drive through not burger stop, but a drive through COVID test. <gasps> oh my God. How was it? Did you get the swab in your nose? No, I've done that before, but it was a spit test and I had to do my daughter as well. And okay. this is the funniest thing. I have to, well, I have to explain like what happens, right? Okay. So you go online and you book your, like your book your time. Um, and mine was like 1130 and there's like 3000 appointments per place per day. So that's how many people are getting tested. And so we show up at 1130 and there's, hundreds of cars and you have to wait in line to go and to go and get scanned your barcode has to get scanned mm-hmm. and then you go through the first stop and this guy comes out with one of those little clappers like you know those like things that I, I what do you call them clipboards like a clipboard no no like something that I used to say like a picker upper like something <gasps> oh like a poop scooper thing but it's like just got the little it's like a crab hand <laughs> it's a crab hand so they come to your car and I'm like I'm in the future they come and they put it like you roll down your window and Uh then they put that little crabby hand thing into your car and then you have to sit and do it within a minute and I just got so freaked out I wasn't doing it correctly so Uh they had to pull my car aside oh no ma'am you're taking too long and you're holding up traffic (gasps) you're like what I'm just trying to be good you're just trying to do your deed get a test (laughs) but um but it was pretty easy and it was free and you know what now that I know I'm gonna get COVID tested every single day (laughs) just go every single day you're like you're standing 9 a.m. appointment (laughs) I think I have a cough I think I'm I think I need to go to the bathroom too much oh it's a shame they don't have this for pregnancy tests like every morning at nine o'clock go in and get it done (laughs) I don't think I am today no (laughs) well now that we've introduced our day Uh maybe maybe our guests can introduce how they have been in quarantine and how they've been feeling about all this so what's who do we have today Roxy Uh, well I am just so excited because I feel like it's a little bit of a pretty little liars reunion today because right We've got Tori DeVito on, who is just like a lovely, lovely person. We can't wait to talk to you. Yeah, she's not just an actress, Rock. She's a philanthropist. She is. She's a musician who plays a badass violin, by the way. And I, I feel like I'm nothing when I like learn about her whole history. I was like, what have I been doing with my life? But welcome, Tori. Yes, welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, yay. How has quarantine been for you? It has been the wildest ride of my life. Oh my gosh. Truly. Yeah. It's crazy because, you know, there's been so many different waves of it, you know, mm-hmm. and I actually, um, I started a relationship a little bit before quarantine and then we decided to quarantine together. So we oh were one of those. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So okay. that was really fun. And we're still together, which I think really <laughs> yeah. speaks volumes. Because we even said like one month is like two years. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it was a crash course and yeah. amazing. Um, so there was that. And then also now I'm in this phase where it's like, I cannot get motivated for the life of me. It's killing me. If somebody would have told me I had this much time, I would have felt like I would have done all these things. And sometimes yeah. like, I just want to sit in front of the TV or I can't get myself off the couch. Or I'm like, I'm like, I want to write, 
I want to do something. I should go for a walk. And then I just sit staring at the wall. Mm-hmm. And then I call my mom. I'm like, why am I so why doing this? Give yourself grace, you know, because yeah. Like, yeah. we feel so guilty about the, all the things that we should. It's like that word so that we true. should be doing. And then what happens is we feel so much anxiety when we don't because we also feel like we've failed. Um, exactly. But no one knows how mm-hmm. to navigate this. Like no one, we haven't ever been in this situation, not in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So no. You know, Roxy and I have kids, so it's yeah. like, it's, we almost think yes. that your side might be easier, but then I also <laughs> think maybe not because we're so distracted all the time. I mean, what do you right? think, Rock? I mean, I think, yeah, the it definitely goes through my head too. I always wonder about the other side because I'm like, you know, I, I have friends who are actually single and like are not with anyone and they have quarantined alone, like a hundred percent alone. And so that like, I think that would be tricky, but I sort of feel like you're in the ideal position, Tori, because you've got this like new relationship. It's like a new guy, right? You're like, in those days, right? I think we quarantined ourselves on purpose back in the day. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. But you got it like, it's almost like you're in the honeymoon phase, like yeah. permanently at this point. You know, it's like you guys are kind of still, you know, feeling each other out, like probably literally too. Yes, right. <laughs> Literally. Exactly. So I kind of think it might be like kind of nice to like imagine what quarantine like that could be. Because I mean, Tamina and I, like she was saying, we've got little young kids and we're homeschooling and it's like something new every time. It is. It is. So like what like what has been sort of your quarantine trajectory? Are you guys like how has this like really worked for your relationship? Well, it's interesting because we said like everything you learn over the course of like maybe five years about someone, we learned yeah. about each other. It was like a crash course. It was like, I, I made a joke to my friends. I was like, it's not like, you know, if somebody says, oh, I met this guy and I really like him. It's like, yeah, but do you really like him? But yeah. now it's like, no, but do you like quarantine like him? Right. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's been really cool because we just learned so much so quickly about each mm-hmm. other. And I feel like to still be together, really really speaks volumes about the mm-hmm. connection. And now, um, you know, I'm actually back at work, which has been mm. crazy too. Mm-hmm. Um, because after a week, we didn't even finish the first episode before getting shut down for two weeks. So it's like this whole new way of working, which is crazy. Like with all the protocols and like, mm-hmm. you know, it just takes so much longer now. And like, even like I walk out of my trailer and if you forget your mask, everybody's like, <gasps> and you're like running back to your room. You're like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. So it's just like this whole new, it's whole new thing. So we went from like meeting and falling in love and being together every day to now, like I'm in Chicago and, you know, then being long distance. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's just so, it's just like one extreme to the next, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> So I want to, so I've mm-hmm. learned so much about you recently because <laughs> I've wanted to have you on this show for so long. I've always been in such awe about all the philanthropy that you do. And we'll talk about that later. But something that I found out is I had no idea that first you were born in Long Island and raised in Florida. Is that right? Yes. I lived in yes. New York till I was 11. Okay. Mm. And your dad was Billy Joel's drummer, which I just found yes. out. And he like, so we didn't cool. start the fire. I don't know the exact words, but I feel like that's my jam. Um, And then when you were about to come out into the world, Billy Joel pretty much announced on stage that you were being born. Is this correct? Because if this is correct, this is the craziest story. Like that's a lot to live up to. (laughs) 
You know what's crazy about that? I had one of my co-stars, Nick um, Gelfis. He's a musician. And he came into set one day and he was like, it was crazy. I was actually like YouTubing your dad and like watching his work last night. And I saw this one video in Wembley Stadium in, in London they like announced your birth on stage and your dad had like happy birthday tour written on the drums because he wasn't able to be there for my birth. And, um, I was like, yeah, you know what? I know that story, but I have the DVD. I've never watched it. Isn't that weird? I've never seen it. I don't know why. I don't know what, I don't know why. Maybe because it is so much to but, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's the true story. Wow. And I mean, going back to Billy Joel, this is such an incredible connection, but you spent every Thanksgiving with Billy Joel and his family and you grew up sung fire every Thanksgiving. (laughs) I know, right? And you grew up with Alexa Ray Joel as kind of like a sister to you almost, right? So yeah, very close. Yeah. What were those memories like being in that family, in that house and, and all that good stuff? You know, it was a lot of fun because Alexa's mom, Christy, she's like one of the most, and my mom too, the two of them are like the most imaginative, imaginative moms. Like one of them where I know I want kids, but I'm freaking terrified because my mom would like hand make all my costumes and just like, (gasps) do you know what I mean? And same with Christy, when we go to the house, the costumes that like me and Alexa would play in and there was Mm -hmm. like ponies on the property and we were just, you know what I mean? Like. And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, can I, can I figure that out for a kid? No, and you don't. I don't even hand stitch a skirt. I'm like, no. No. I'm like, how do you, how do you make a poodle skirt? No, don't you don't. Know. You don't. Yeah. You buy them from Amazon for nine ninety five. Yeah, right? exactly. They're lucky they get dressed in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so they have was, underwear was, on. I'm like, woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. One of my, um, one of a big memory that just stuck with me is I'll never forget. Uh, Alexa grew up vegetarian, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, I'm vegetarian now, but uh, I wasn't. When I was a kid and I remember getting in a lot of trouble because during Thanksgiving dinner one year, I was like trying to really get her to eat the turkey. I was like, just try it. Oh, just oh try it. <laughs> and I remember getting in so much trouble. She didn't try it, thank God. <laughs> That's not nice. I know, right? <laughs> I didn't understand. I was like, so she's gonna try. I, but no one, yeah. So you are an incredible violin player, and and I mean incredible. You played on. We were gonna call out second daughter Stevie, and you played on Stevie mm-hmm. Hicks's because I love her so much on her album. Um, did your love of music come from watching your dad? Um, sort of. So on one of the Billy tours, um, mm-hmm. there was a violinist that was on tour with them the whole time. It was the only tour that there was a violinist. And I was just like enamored with her. I was six years old and I just like followed her mm-hmm. everywhere. And then at the end of the tour, I asked my parents if I could play. And my dad's first question was like, is she going to go deaf? Cause my dad's pretty much deaf from playing the drums and the girl's like, no. And so they let me play. And, um, yeah. And that was, that was that. That was that. And, um, you know, the violin is a very tricky um, instrument for those who may not know how to play it, right? Um, what was it about the violin that made you gravitate towards that versus, like, the piano or, like, the guitar? Because um, it's not the most common instrument to pick up. It's not. I don't know. I just think I just love the sound when I was little. Violin and cello, like, even cello over violin sometimes. I love that like deep sound. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And just watching somebody play it, I was just so attracted to. It's such a gorgeous instrument, but it is frustrating. It's hard. I mean, there were so many times, tear. my mom will talk about all the time, the tears through pa- practice. You know what I mean? Just the frustration and the tears because it mm-hmm. is, it's hard. You know, and now it's hard because, you know, it got, 
acting the, the best advice my dad ever gave me was to try not to be a jack of all trades, but pick something and try to be great at it. Cause my dad like lives, eats and breathes the drums. And I like dabbling in everything. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw that when I was like starting acting and like still playing violin and stuff. And he was like, just try to be great at something. And so, um, but now that the violin's kind of taking the back burner, when I go to play it now, it's like that frustration from a kid comes up. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like I'm like maybe on par with myself when I was 16 now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> and when people are like, just play something, pick up and play something. I'm like, you don't understand. It's not that way with a class of violinists. Yeah. I haven't worked mm-hmm. on peace. Yeah. <laughs> I said that about literally everything I do. I like, I haven't cooked in two months, okay? I haven't, really do that. I haven't made a bed in three months, okay? I'm not very good at it. I don't know what to do. I know some people do that though every day. They get up, they make the bed, they cook the breakfast. Who are these yeah. people, Roxy? People that are not us. <laughs> you fell in love with acting. So you started around, you were 15 years old mm-hmm. when you started to like fall in love with acting, which is around the same time that I think I got my first job. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, 15, I got my first job in Australia and I was like my first audition. So I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. (laughs) (laughs) So many years of therapy and so much money I've spent on going, wait a second, my work gives me my self-worth. And then when I don't work, like what am I, what what do I have left? So when you're so ingrained to think that, you know, success only means through your work Mm -hmm. and it's hard when you grow up and realize that it's not Mm -hmm. always like that especially in our creative fields but no 15 years old was when I started and I remember from such a little girl I I just wanted to perform like I I came out of the womb like being like by the way, guys, that's Billy Joel. Um, so, okay. So when did you know that you wanted to be an actor or perform is, is why I'm telling you my story. Uh, you know, I have to say just bouncing off of what you said about like the self-worth thing. It's so interesting because I feel like that quarantine has brought that up a lot because we Mm -hmm. haven't been able to work and especially too, in like meeting someone and starting a relationship and it's not like, Oh, I'm busy. I have to go to this event or I'm busy. I'm like Mm -hmm. filming here. It's like, no, this is just me. There's no Mm -hmm. glitter, makeup, nothing to hide behind. And then it almost becomes that question. It's like, Oh my God, like, am I offering enough? Am I enough just to show up? Like it is a, it is a total mind trip. Mm -hmm. That's been a really cool um, learning experience, but um, no, I, so when I played violin, I was playing out and playing professionally. So I liked performing in that way. I think I always knew I wanted to act. I just didn't know it because when I was seven and I saw Les Mis, Mm-hmm. I wanted to be Eponine more than anything on this mm-hmm. planet. And I would like do all the scenes and like die and make my dad be Marius. And I was like, blah, just loving it. <laughs> um, but I can't sing for anything. So it right. was like when she'd go high, I actually have a video where my veins are sticking out of my neck and I like hit the note and I go, not do it. But I, so I think I just like loved performing my whole life. And my sisters were always a big audience for me. And then when I was 15, um, I got put into modeling and I didn't love it. And the photographer was telling my mom, like, you know, she's really shy in front of the camera. You should put her in an acting class. And so then when I did that, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is what I like. So that, that kind of really took over at that point. So like when you were 15, so you kind of um, started acting when you were a teenager. 
do you remember what your first acting gig was that you got your SAG card? Mm. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So it was kind of a combination because you have to do a certain amount of like, or at least it was back then, you have to mm-hmm. do a certain amount of hours or something mm-hmm. or a certain amount of jobs. So I got a Bush Gardens commercial, mm-hmm. a Sonic Burger commercial, <laughs> and then I did, there was this show, because the WB used to, before it was the CW, mm-hmm. dating ourselves, um, mm-hmm. when it was the WB, they had this show that filmed in Jacksonville called Safe Harbor. I don't think it stayed mm-hmm. on for more than a season. I had one line, and I remember I was like, walking down the school and the lead kid like drops his glasses and he's kind of supposed to be nerdy. And uh-huh. I step on them on accident and then it like panned up my leg and I said, Oh, sorry, buddy. And then I just kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I made it. Forever and ever. <laughs> I remember saying goodbye to my best friend after high school when I was getting like packed up my Explorer Sport to drive to California. And I was like, don't worry. I'm going to go out. I'll set up <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm back in a year. It's going to take yeah. me a year. And then I got there and it was like, 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 you're like, I won't forget the little people. Yeah. I remember when I got my husband, my husband was, um, my, I, my husband's film was the first film I got in the States. It was like this little horror indie film. And I remember when they called and it was Gersh called and they were like, he got the job. I remember laying on my bed going, Tam and Vincent Valentine, you finally made it. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be my starring role. And I remember I'd be on set and I don't do, I'm, I'm, I would say that I'm a more advanced actor now, but like back then I would like starve myself all day because I'd really want to feel the pain of being like slotted. And I'd drink so caffeine. I drink like four, I don't drink caffeine anymore because my anxiety can't take it. But I would yeah. drink like four shots of espresso because I wanted to shake. shake and, yes. yeah. and then I'd be like, oh, don't kill me. Don't kill me, weird Martian. <laughs> I thought that that role was it. And I met my husband, so at least something good came out of it. But I was like, that's, that's it. Hilarious. That's hilarious. Method acting, method acting. Method acting. I love that. When you're young like that, you're like, I'll do anything. Don't yeah. pay me. Just I'll kill myself for this. I love it. I'm like sobbing all day. I'm ripping my yeah, guts yeah. out. And now I'm like, well, okay. So what is the contract? Like how many hours is this job? Yeah. How much of the side of my boob do I have to show? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me like, exactly. Yeah. Which one is it going to show? Yeah. Cause my right's always been better than my left. The right's the star. Yeah. My right's always been the star, by the way. And my, both my kids think so too. It's hilarious. I love it. So tell me, so my husband and I also talk about the fact that like, you know, being creative is, it's like such a blessing and we're both creative and your new boyfriend, maybe fiance, maybe husband, maybe baby daddy. We don't know. Um, I just went from zero to like 500 right there. We're like, we're just quarantining together. We like, we just don't want to kill each other in quarantine. That's how it happens. You have babies in quarantine. Oh, yep. Yep. Um, But the creative life we always say is like such a blessing and a curse. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like this business has broken my heart more than anything else ever has. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, I feel like I, I want to give up. And then just as I'm about to give up, (laughs) you get either a job or the opportunity to get a job, or you get the feedback from someone you admire that says that 
you're incredible. And then it's just, it almost just strings you mm-hmm. enough along to keep going. And maybe that's the universe or God or whatever pushing you in the right direction. Yeah. But how do you feel about being in this creative field? It's so hard. I, I always laugh when, you know, my dad will call me and be like, oh, so-and-so's daughter's getting into acting. Would you mind talking to her and giving her some tip? I'm like, why does everyone think that some who's actually made a living as an actor has like some magic code. Yeah. It's, it's, yes. Yes. You jump through this hula hoop and turn mm-hmm. around twice. You'll be able, it's like, no, I don't know what to tell you. You've got to submit, you've got to audition and you have to be the one that sacrifices best friends, weddings, best friends, mm-hmm. birthday parties, family dinners, family holidays. You know what I mean? Like, and there's a difference between the people that are willing to give that up and the ones that, you know, aren't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and there's neither is good or bad. It's just if you want to have a career in this. And so I feel like in that way, it's broken me more than anything because I've always had to, you know, miss out on things or, you know, but it's just, it's hard. It's really hard. I always felt like every audition I do, the only ones I booked are the ones that I would call my mom crying and be like, I've never acted. Pretty little liars. Yes, oh that God, was it you for got me. The job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, why? And then I leave, whenever I leave being like, oh my God, I killed it. Oh, I like call for feedback wait. and they're like, uh, no. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we just didn't see it today. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I would love to understand what that is. What that is. Why when I think I crush it, everybody else is like, oh. <laughs> it's like, what is that? I mean, Pretty Little Liars was the worst audition I've ever done. Like, was it? The, I even said in the room, and I said this to Roxy, I even said, hey guys, this is the worst audition I've ever <laughs> <No>. done. <laughs> and then I walked out and then I gave up acting and then they cast me and then they had, I had to re-audition um, because I didn't know if I could actually talk because I didn't talk in the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> like there's something about that girl yeah. there's yeah. something about her she's so funny yeah. <laughs> that's right so pretty little liars i mean it just it fascinates me so much we've had your guys castmates on like everyone has like a very different experience and it's always like so interesting to hear all the stories but like when you were on the show tori like what was that experience like for you? Like, because there's got to be, you know, good and bad and like everything in between, you know, what was it like for you being a Pretty Little Liars? Yeah. And we're not on the show. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny because, well, first of all, I went to that audition telling my manager, like, I don't want to go. And he was like, why not? And I was like, well, I just like One Tree Hill kind of started my career and then I did Vampire Diaries and I was like I kind of want to do more like adult stuff I think when I did Pretty Little Liars what it was 10 years ago I was like 26 or something 25 and I was like I'm ready to be a full-grown adult and he was like just go and so I went and I ended up getting it and my agents were like I'm serious I think this is gonna be a thing I think you should do it and I was like but my first show was on ABC Family do I really want to do that again and thank god I did I'm so grateful I did but Mm -hmm. um but it was, it was, it was such an interesting experience. I mean, I mostly worked with Troyan, mm-hmm. um, whom I yeah, absolutely awesome. adore. She's mm-hmm. the best. And I felt so grateful that I got to go because mm-hmm. we would have the best conversations and I just adore her. Um, during the pilot, somehow Ian Harding and I just went like this. And to this day, okay. he's literally one of my best friends. I mean, I got him I, I didn't get him the job on Chicago Med, but I put his name definitely in the mix. And then he, his audition did the rest. But like, um, I just, 
every time I have a girls' night, the, the joke is like it's girls' night plus Ian because he's part of like my friend group now. He always says he has an honorary vagina, which I love. I love And so I like I'm so grateful for that friendship. But he and I actually never worked together. So when he came to do Chicago Med, he said he hadn't. They just gave him the script on the plane, mm. and. Mm -hmm. He had to come in. His wife died of an aneurysm. She's pregnant. I have to take the baby out um, and do a C-section while she's not alive anymore. And then his baby has to go up to the NICU. So he has to be sobbing. And then he realized, he's like, um, I realized too, you and I have never actually worked together. And you know, it's always odd to like work yeah, with a course. friend that you've never. So not only that, but on day one was the day he had to come in when his wife dies and all that happens. So it's a new job <laughs> working with a new friend. He's like, there was a part of me that was cursing your name on the plane. I yeah. <laughs> and he has to show you a side of himself too, that like he doesn't normally show you. So that can be a little, yes. and you know, when you, when you have to get really intense, like uh, emotional, you want to yeah. really check out for me. I don't yes. want to be best friends with the person, yeah. especially if yes. our friendship is yeah. based in a lot of laughter and fun. You know, those right. yes. friends that you're like, every time I look at you, I start laughing. <laughs> yes. I'm um, like you, Roxy. I would never. Yeah, exactly. I know you don't want to be but in there tears are other with people me. that you've been through so much with that you can like mm. touch them and it's like, oh, yes. it all comes. So I can see that. Yes. You know, so I was like trying not to look at him on set. I was so nervous for him. I was just like reading my book and he'd say something. I was like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I didn't, yeah. I was like, don't look at me, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, the experience was really fun. I, for some reason, I'm not that much older than a lot of the cast at all. But for then I always felt like kind of like a little bit older. So I always felt not out of the loop, but I always felt like I'd come in do my thing and then just kind of back. Like I, I was like, yeah, in the click, but I mean, it was yeah, so I think much a lot fun. of us, like I said, I got to work with twins. So I loved it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of us have, I mean, we've spoken to obviously Ian and Keegan um, and Janelle and Lindsay, and there has been that, you know, sometimes I think when the show's about four main characters, and I'm, you might feel this way too on your, your, your show, Chicago Med, like you ha they have sort of a, a repartee that's, you know, between them. So when yeah. you're only doing like 50 episodes, like we were instead of 150, you kind of missed out on some of the joke, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah, you come yeah, totally. in and you do your job, but it was, what was hard for me is like, I've always been like wanting to be loved. Like that's my issue. <laughs> so it's very hard to like be on a show where people find you as so much of a part of it. Like the fans are like, they really see you as a whole, but you don't necessarily feel that because everyone yeah. obviously has spent so much more time together. Totally. So yeah, I was like the whole time I was like, please love me. Please love me. <laughs> um, but I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it's a, you know, it's such a, such an interesting thing. I mean, cause you guys have been there, you know, it's been years, like, I think what it ran for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, it did, yeah. Yeah. So like, were there any times just like, you know, cause I mean, it's natural that people, you know, you're close with people. Sometimes you fight, you know, sometimes you have your ups and downs. Did you have like any particular like challenging experiences with people on set? And like, how did and you who were their names? <laughs> yeah. 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 Tell us everything. I don't think I had any like challenging. I remember yeah. bumping into some people on that set, like that I didn't think were the nicest. Okay. And so I just kind of like would like be like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, but but I also like feel like sometimes that's a bit of a product of being on a popular teen show. Mm -hmm. And I do feel a little grateful that 
the times that I was on those teen shows, I was older already. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I've seen that happen a lot. You know what I mean? Cause those teen shows grow rapidly, like overnight, you know, and you really have to have like a lot of stability, good, mature head on shoulders, not let it get to you. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of noticed that here and there was some people, you know, part of the, part of the job sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, I think you and I have, as because we are older, how many times have you finished a show and you've thought, oh my gosh, like my life is going to change. I'm going to be on the next scandal. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. the phone doesn't ring for six months or you yeah. audition and you don't get anything. And it's like, I feel like you have to lose before you start to like really develop that sense of gratitude and grace. And, you know, I I feel like you can't have that if you're always winning. Um, I think that those losses really define us, um, like uh, of who we are as, as, as artists and people. And you grow from that. You grow from the painful stuff. You grow from the dark stuff. You grow from Absolutely. this, like things like this pandemic when we don't have the answers and you lose your control. Um, and so that's what I think what happens is, is when you're on a show that's so successful so fast and it's your first one, you haven't really had that full yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that fall builds so much character. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It makes like just, yeah, just, toughens you up and it just adds another layer to you that I think is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how, when the show ended, what was it like for you? Like immediately after, was it like, you got another show. I know. She's like, I was working the whole time. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was actually already on Chicago Med and I remember they called to see if I could do the, um, the finale. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shoot, I'm already in Chicago Med. Like, you know, yeah. but I went to my producer and I was like, you know, it's only one day. Mm-hmm. I'd actually really love to finish this out. And he was like, hey, that show is a lot of the reason, you know, why your career is what you, what it is. Of course, mm-hmm. we'll be able to, we'll schedule around it. And there was like, no question asked. They just let me go in the middle of a episode oh. and, and then come back. So that was really special. I was glad I got to finish that out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, you always say, I always feel like in times of crisis, you find the helpers. And I really want to talk about your philanthropy and how you are a big advocate for mental health. And I feel like you've always been one of those people. You've always been one of those people to stick your hand up and say, you know, I'm going to help. And I don't know if it's, you know, and Roxy, you can answer this too. I don't know if it's because when you have kids, it's like you want that so much, but you're so fucking exhausted (laughs) and you're so time poor as well. Like there's just not enough hours in the day to give back as much as you want. Um, I know that I kick myself because I want to do more, but who instilled that in you? And Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Oh God. I don't know. It's funny that you say that and hearing that perspective, because I think, you know, I'm definitely at a point in my life where, you know, kids are kind of that next step for me. Mm -hmm. And I've even thought to myself, like, the same thing you're saying, like, you know, uh, once this Chicago med is done, they don't really do TV like this anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows when my next job will be after that. Cause the industry's changed so much. And, and I'm like, but I think I'd want to take some time to just mm-hmm. be a mom for a little bit. And then it's like kind of scary too. Cause you're like, okay, but then do you just forego all that? Like, I think, you know, 
she jk rowling wrote harry all the harry potters when she was a mom so like mm-hmm. what does that look like so i don't know how you guys do that that's amazing because i feel like without it just with having like three dogs and a boyfriend i get like <laughs> highly distracted <laughs> like, oh, like i was supposed to do a million things i didn't somehow you know what i mean I'm like, oh, cooking for myself is so hard <laughs> but um but no it's it's uh you know i think i get like a lot of my work ethic comes from both of my parents, but my dad, like mm-hmm. he always, I mean, my dad just wrote a book, which is actually really phenomenal. And it just came kind of out of nowhere. He's never written anything. And, you know, he's always had his like goal set on what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, for me with the philanthropy stuff, um, when I was like 25, when I was on One Tree Hill, actually, so mm-hmm. I was like 24, I remember being like, I love this business and I love acting, but no, I love acting, but I don't know if I love the business. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, that show had a bit of that too, where it was like, everybody was a little catty. It felt mm-hmm. a little dark. And I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, like I was going home at night, like at the hotel, like feeling like very anxious. And I was like, Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is for me. And so I was like, well, I should like devote my time somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I, that's when I found hospice and started like volunteering with hospice and then like took that, you know, to where it is today. But I think that it taught me two things. Like one, you definitely have to have a distraction outside of this business because Mm -hmm. if this is the only thing in your eye, you're just Mm going to like sink. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we're also having to be so Mm self-focused, you know, in this business. So it takes us out of our heads, thank God, mm-hmm. and onto something else or onto someone else. Um, and then like my goal for my career changed because it became like, I want to keep building a platform and building this career so that I can bring awareness to the things that I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about. So that kind of stepped up my game of like wanting to continue in this business. That's mm-hmm. where I said, so those were the two kind of like driving forces that kind of kept me going. Mm-hmm. So with everything going on in the world, because I feel like, you know, we turn on the TV and there's a new news story every day. There's, you know, things that are just inexplicable about what's happening now. And um, does that motivate you or does it more kind of to to do the change and to be the change? Or does it kind of paralyze you and make you feel a little helpless and not really know what to do? You know, it's so funny because for me, like when it comes to the work I want to do, obviously like I want to have it, for whatever it is that I'm doing, like reach as many people as possible. But for me, it's always been more about like the one-on-one connections. Mm-hmm. So like with this organization, Safe Bay, that I work with and I'm on the board of directors, of, they teach like sexual uh, like assault um, awareness and like consent to kids. And getting to go to high schools and just talking to 10 kids at a time personally mm-hmm. and telling them my experiences and allowing them to open up, that to me is like, if I could just get to one person, mm-hmm. that's fine. So I don't really have like a global mindset for me. It's more like just day by day. If I talk mm-hmm. to one person and I show them a really cool vegan alternative leather jacket mm-hmm. and it gets them to buy that the next time, then like that feels like a win to me. Like I don't really, mm-hmm. for me, it's not so much global. The news is so massively overwhelming. I really mm-hmm. don't watch it anymore. I stay aware because there's like a certain group of girlfriends that I have that are so smart, like so much smarter than me. (laughs) And I keep them on group texts because they always are talking about what's going on in the world. And they are my source of news. Like Mm -hmm. I trust them implicitly and I'm like, great, you guys do work for me. Um, But I feel like that's another thing that's been interesting in the quarantine too, because it's like whenever I'm having a down day and I'm like feeling like, woe is me? It's so easy to go into that 
well, I have a job to go back to, you know, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Like people are literally dying. People are suffering. People are losing their jobs. Like, you know, going insane. And, and then you immediately felt, feel guilty that you're having an emotion about your own life, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense. Cause you have to let yourself have so valid. It's all yeah. valid, but it's, it's hard not to be like, I can't believe I'm crying over. Oh, cause I didn't write today. I'm like mm-hmm. so sad. You know what I mean? And it's like, people are suffering. But I always think that everyone's, everyone's pain is valid. And you can't say to someone like, I, I have one you know, I only have one broken leg and you have two. So your pain is worse than mine because everyone has to live the life that they were given and everyone suffers in certain, like, yes, there are Mm -hmm. so many people that have worse off than other people, but maybe they handle it better. And maybe those people who don't have as much on their plate can't get through their day. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we have to be really careful too. I think that the biggest issue and because one of my, um, my mentors and leaders is like Brene Brown. And she talks a lot about shame and like the shame spiral and the shame cycle that we're all in consistently and constantly. And it's about shaming other people sometimes because like we feel bad about ourselves, but then it's also shaming other people is really about shaming ourselves and how we really feel deep down. So it's like, you know, my husband and I sometimes fight and I cry about it. And instead of saying, you know, you're such a weak little child, which like, you know, <laughs> could probably be in my head. I'm like, you know what? I feel frustrated. I feel overwhelmed. Like he's yeah. annoying the shit mm-hmm. out of me. I love him. I'm yeah. sure I'm annoying him. And it's okay yeah. to cry as long as I don't make it, as long as I don't blame and put my blame, stuff sure. onto him, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. But yeah. um, you've been working with like hospice, the hospice, what's the foundation you work for, for since 2011? Yeah. So I do um, hospice volunteering with the hospice that used to be in California. Now I work with the hospice in Chicago because okay. that's where I mm-hmm. am more. Um, but the, the mothership of hospice is called the NHPCO, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. And they kind of oversee most hospice in the U.S. And I mm-hmm. do like stuff with them, like spokesperson stuff with okay. them. Mm-hmm. They never, I, I like, somebody brought it to my attention. They're like, have you ever reached out to them? Because I'm sure they've never had a spokesperson. When I yeah. got in touch with them, they were like, no, we've never had. A- That's amazing. <laughs> and what is witnessing people? Because I think it's, you know, Roxy and I have such a mm-hmm. severe fear of death mm-hmm. um, that I, I always thought that you doing that is such a brave thing. But then I always wondered, what does witnessing someone die in their last moments of li- life, what does that teach you about living? You know, it's really interesting because, like I said, when I got into the hospice stuff, I was really like depressed and everybody was like, don't you think this is going to make it worse? And (laughs) it took a lot of convincing to show people like it actually lit me up because when you are sitting with somebody who is in their last days or their last months, it's like all they talk about is who they loved, who they didn't love Mm. enough, where they traveled. And basically that's it. Like I've never heard somebody bring up their job. You know what I mean? I've never Mm. heard somebody... And so it kind of puts that in perspective and it just makes you want to live each day to your fullest capacity of love. You know what I mean? Giving and sharing love, whether it's to strangers or the people you love personally. Um, And so that's kind of like a really good reminder. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And to me, like, it's just like, kind of like watching birth. You know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. going to the next place, wherever that is. I don't know, but like, you know, the next thing. So it's kind of like a beautiful circle. 
There can be beauty in death for sure. For sure, because people are transitioning over. And and like you're saying, you know, I can only imagine what people on their deathbeds are saying because, you know, we put so much emphasis on six career success, our jobs, you know, reaching that next sort of milestone instead of really being present and taking the time with the people that we love, you know, and working on those relationships more. Um, so has that changed you seeing people on their deathbed like that? Has that changed the way that you view your relationships and that you kind of view career progression? Yeah, it kind of showed me that, you know, if there's an argument going on, like, you know, some people on like the Italian side of my family are really cutting <laughs> people out. <laughs> and it's kind of taught me that like, especially with family, nothing should ever get too big to where you don't talk to somebody again. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind mm-hmm. of put that in perspective for me. And it's also made me pickier and choosier about like who I really want to invest time in. And you know what I mean? Like I used to stay in relationships that friendships really, that were really kind of dark and like, Mm -hmm. oh, would give me so much anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then you just realize like, you can send that person love in a different way. You don't have to show up and be with them every day if they're like draining you like that. So kind of put in perspective, like you really want to make sure you're like giving your time in the best way, you know, just really valuing your family and friends Mm -hmm. and the ones that you love, you know, daily, truly. Mm Jay Shetty, who's also someone I love, he said, you know, and this is, I I just think we focus so much on things Mm -hmm. and, and trying to impress people, you know? And so he said this amazing quote, he said, I'm not who I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. And that just was like, holy crap. It's not, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's what I think you think. Mm-hmm. And so we buy all these things, we spend all this money, we waste all this time to impress people that we think are thinking a certain thing about us. Sure. They probably don't even have time to even, yeah. for us to even cross no. their minds, you know? Totally. And so I think being around that and watching death, I don't know why, I think my anxiety, I think, has come from, I think I've always had anxiety about perfectionism, but my anxiety really is about not being able to control things. And we live in a world and our lives where we just can't control anything. Not really. We think we can to a certain extent, but, but death to me is the ultimate let go of control. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is where my anxiety stems from is from that. And I know you've talked about mental health and anxiety in your life. Do you know where yours comes from? I don't. I think there was some, you know, I had an amazing childhood, um, but there were, you know, certain aspects of it where, you know, my dad, you know, being the, you know, rock star that he was, there were certain aspects of it that I think I felt like I didn't have control over. I think Mm -hmm. it's funny you say control because I feel like that's where a lot of my like anxiety or OCD stuff comes in Mm -hmm. is like that lack of control. Maybe I felt a little bit as a kid and my parents did the most phenomenal job mm-hmm. ever as parents. And they did the best that they could as well as every parent does. But um, I think there was a little bit of that feeling a little out of control at certain points. Mm-hmm. Like I had no control over certain things. And I think that's where it kind of started. And then I think it just grew. And it's, 
I only know that after 10 years of therapy, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course. That's a lot of money we've spent on therapy, yeah. by the way. You and I could probably <laughs> bought a house together. Seriously. A vacation home in Bali. Exactly. Right? I was like, mental health or this vacation home. I'm sure this vacation home would have made me feel a lot better. <laughs> but it is so important that you did get therapy and that you sought out help. But was it... Was it hard for you to realize that you needed help and then to take that step and find help? You know, I've always, I think it's like the Gemini in me. I've always uh-huh. loved um, like learning new things and like, mm-hmm. ooh, what does this mean? Like, let's investigate it. I want to like learn, 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 learn. Like, oh, sure, I'll crack myself open. What do you want to know? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that I was a little more, but I have a lot of friends where it's like that first step into therapy. It's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? So I think it depends per person. Um, But my therapist actually does EMDR therapy, which is so cool because it really helps you like go back, like way back. Um, Yeah. And I, uh, I love therapy. Can you give us their number? (laughs) I need some help. I know. Right. I'll text you guys after. Yeah, for sure. So EMDR, just so people, if they don't know what that is, what type of therapy is that? Mm -hmm. So it is, um, let me look it up because I always mess up the acronyms. Mm -hmm. It's eye movement, rapid desensitization. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. I, I don't know. So anyways, but what it basically does is when I first started with her, it was like a light and you follow your eyes with the light. It's becoming more popular now. A lot of therapists are actually getting um, certified in it um, or they're like little buzzing things in your hand. And basically what it does, you kind of go into this like meditative state. And before you do that, she'll have you identify like, okay, Tamin, when you ask your husband to do the dishes and he doesn't and you get so mad and then he says, I'm sorry. And he doesn't, but you're still mad. Okay. Mm-hmm. That means it's old because him apologizing and doing it should be enough for it. To no, it's away. not. It's not enough. <laughs> it is not enough. So I've be been like- fighting all morning about, I think we fought, what do we fight about today? Um, about, we, we both said, I need an hour. And I said, no, I need two hours. And he's like, but you like, and that's what we fought about. And I can't, I I can't get over it. That's valuable time. That's valuable time. (laughs) So she'll be like, where's the feeling? Is it here? Like when it arises, where's that feeling? So then you identify, you're like, it's in my chest. So then you like watch the light or whatever, whichever form it is. And it basically puts you and the light. What it does is it helps you activate both left and right hemisphere of your brain. Mm -hmm. And so she just asks you to keep looking at the light until you start remembering when the first time you ever felt that feeling was. And it's normally around the age of like seven, because that's when you like really determine what love and what the world means to you is when you're seven. And so you're able to go back and then it's like a whole process where they walk you back and like you kind of figure out how to reparent yourself in that moment. And then it's like, instead of like talk therapy where you almost open the wound and you talk about it and then you kind of like go on your way, it really kind of like sews it up. So like the trigger will still be there, but you can look at it the next time it comes up and go like, oh, okay, cool. And you keep walking. So they made it, uh, they first created that form of therapy for soldiers who used to come back with PTSD. So it's for PTSD, which I was like, well, I don't have PTSD. She's like, well, you do. And I was like, but I've never seen a dead body like on the ground. She's like, no, people could have PTSD from their parents getting divorced. You know what I mean? It, it comes in all levels. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting. 
you know, I definitely, I, I realized that, you know, I definitely, I have bad PTSD from a health scare. And -hmm. what's so crazy about it is when that health scare happened, I looked down at my fingers and they like, I like started to go blind. It was like a whole, it was like a mimic to stroke or whatever. This is a long time ago. And so now I can like, if I look at my fingers the wrong way, I'm like trans, I'm back there again. It's almost like I can make myself like lose my vision. It's crazy. And like all those symptoms start to come back because like there's such a trauma Mm -hmm. that hasn't been healed. And I can still smell the same smell. I can still hear the sound when it happened. And it's like, until you fix that, Mm -hmm. you consistently be having those symptoms and experiences until you really look at it. Like you said, in a third party way right. and go, okay, I'm going to put this over here and heal myself. Yeah, yeah, totally. So where are you on your like mental health journey today? Because you know, it's different every day. Mm-hmm. It's different every day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I really thought I had a lot of things handled. Mm-hmm. I do struggle with like some OCD stuff that I need to mm-hmm. bump into. And it's so funny because I feel like, you know, my friends would be like, I have OCD too. I love cleaning my house. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's not OCD, yeah, but that's, yeah. that's okay. It, OCD is like obsessive thoughts about like one specific thing. So, mm-hmm. um, or it comes in different things. But for me, that's what it is. I have like a weird thing with like corners and um, like a camp, like weird thing with bathtubs. It's so weird. Anyway, it's not, <laughs> I don't mean weird, but for me, it's like, it's hard to describe. Anyway, so there's things like that, that I still, you know, have a hard time with that send me like shivers down my spine. Sometimes I'll be like standing somewhere and I'll get this like jolt. And my boyfriend would be like, what was that? And I'm like, I just um, envisioned my hand touching that crack and it sent a shot down my back. He's mm. like, what? He's like, you should go talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I am. It's been 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I could have had my holiday home. I got it. Right? <laughs> I know. So there's little things like that that I'm definitely still working with. But as far as anxiety goes, I really, you know, I'm a huge advocate of, you know, uh, spiritual work and mm-hmm. um and meditation and, um, all that kind of stuff. And it's really helped me. I know for a lot of people that I love, you know, sometimes they'll get on a pill and that'll really help them. This just happens to be my path. And I thought I had it all under control until the quarantine hit. And my anxiety has been like right back where it started. Like even today I had to go pick something up and I was just driving my car and, I just like, like my breath got heavy and I was like, just started crying for no reason. And I was talking to my boyfriend and I was like, I'm just like having so much anxiety right now. He's like, why? What happened? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel overwhelmed. And then mm-hmm. it's hard because there's really nothing. I mean, well, there's everything to be overwhelmed. About. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh my God. And it just becomes like all encompassing. And so it's just about going back to those tricks, like okay, breathing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And even during this quarantine, it's been so crazy. Cause it's like, I feel like my spiritual practice every day, I meditate twice a day and I mm-hmm. work with my energy healer and I pull my cards and I have like my altars and this and that. I don't think I have like med- meditated maybe five times during this quarantine. Mm-hmm. I just can't find the strength. I'm like, who am I? What am I doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, it's just like Groundhog Day, you know, every day. It's like there's no there's no end in sight. So it does get overwhelming like that. There's no break, you know. And then it's, yeah, and then silly, like going back to work. And I'm like, I mm-hmm. think I worked out three times this quarantine. And I cannot, working out at home, get Oh, real. I cannot. I'm like oh, three real. sizes. It's the worst. Yes, I just have to accept that? the pieces. Mm-hmm. You can't get motivated. 
Yeah, you can't get motivated. No, you can't. And mm-hmm. and having scrubs feel too tight on you is like, uh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what is that? Stop. <laughs> So we'll ask you a few more questions and then we'll let you sure. go. Yeah. But what is, what's the next plan for you? Like how, you know, Chicago Med, by the way, I auditioned for. And Did I you? was like, yeah. And I was on a set of something else. And I was like, felt like shit that day too. And it was against oh, a wall. No. And it was on my iPhone. And then you got it. And I couldn't be mad. Like I couldn't be mad. Cause like, I really like you. So yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm really mad. That I can't be mad because <laughs> we're kind of the same type, I think, yeah. a little bit. Um, so we've probably gone for the same roles, and sure, yeah. I just was like, you know what? At least it went to someone who's. <laughs> <laughs> I know, isn't that so funny? How that happens? But I'm sure Chicago Med is so hard. Like in in Chicago, it's so cold, you know. So like, right. it mustn't yeah. be the easiest conditions. But like, what's next? Like, what's what what's what's going on for you? What are your goals and dreams? And yeah. what's happening? I, you know, I, um, my experience on this show has really changed so much because I felt like, oh, I got to do more. I got to do this. And then I think with the world kind of flipping upside down, I've so appreciated the stability of this job that it's kind of changed my mind where I'm like, I'll stay as long as they ask me to stay (laughs) now. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, and I love the show. It's, it's one of the best shows I've ever worked on. I love the cast. It's, it's, I really love Chicago. Um, so next for me, I have like gotten into producing some stuff, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I've realized my happiness really stems from just being like able to create, uh, creatively express myself, even if it's not for anybody else. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've been into this writing class and I've noticed that, you know, I kind of like want to focus right now on, you know, potentially growing my own family and like, and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, that, you know, when you're, uh, acting and, you know, certain relationships don't work and stuff. It's easy for that time to slip by, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I'm in a place right now where that's kind of standing in the forefront and the career is kind of like in the, mm-hmm. a little bit in the back. So I don't know what that looks like for me, you know what I mean? But I'm never going to step away completely. Obviously I, I love mm-hmm. working so much, but yeah. So it's kind of like just a day by day thing for me, you know? So it kind of sounds like kids might be sooner Ooh, rather than later. Could be coming. Corona babies. If they do, I would love it. Whenever oh. they're ready to come in, come on in. <laughs> do you see yourself having like multiple kids or has it always been like a one thing or what? What? how do you feel about that? I definitely would love to have at least two. I mean, look, I grew up, I have three sisters and I can't imagine not having siblings. I just can't. And, um, um, so I don't know, but who knows at this age in my life, at this stage, maybe we'll just be one, you know, I've always thought about adopting too. So maybe that'll come into play. I have mm-hmm. no idea, you know, cause also when you're single and in this business too, I, you know, I've had that plan. I was like, okay, my plan B is a really great plan. If I don't meet someone, I will adopt on my own. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I was like, I'm not going to miss out on this, you know, being a mom and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what all that looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, you were married before. And so is that something that you're wanting again? Or was that not a good experience? You're like, I'm done. (laughs) We don't need to do that again. Yeah. You know, having a wedding, then you might be done. (laughs) No, but I would love to, I would love to have a family and be married and all that stuff. I, 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 
it's so funny. I always say, I always joke, like, I didn't get divorced because I didn't like being married. I just, mm-hmm. and we're, my ex and I are actually really good friends now, but I just married the wrong person for mm-hmm. that lifetime. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I would love to be married and, you know, build all that, but we'll see. So is like, you know, because a lot of people say after they come out of divorce and everything, they say, you know, it could have been the right person if it was a different time, you know, at a different point in their life. But for you, do you feel like it was just the wrong person, wrong time all around or? Is well, that- it's so interesting because if mm-hmm. I say this, it's going to sound like, because there's no, like, I think everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. But do I think if we were older, things mm-hmm. would have been different? Sure. I met him when I was 22. We were engaged mm-hmm. by the time I was like 22 and a mm-hmm. half. You know what I mean? Like everything yeah. was just, and I was crazy and he was crazy. It was just like these yeah. wild, like, <laughs> you know, young kids flapping around, pretending like we knew what we were doing. So it oh. was never gonna, that was never gonna, you know, work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's Although I met my husband at 22. Can you believe it? Did you? Did you? Oh my 20 22. Two. That's when I, when we have fights, I'm like, you took my job. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go anywhere now because I'm like in my mid 30s. And, and I didn't even know how to swipe left to swipe right. I don't even know what I'm going to do. See, you missed out. Like, don't leave me because I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get any. Don't sleep. leave me. <laughs> yeah. that's, so, that's really sexy, isn't it? Don't, don't leave, leave me. I won't find anyone else. Um, I always get so stressed about like, oh God, like I don't want to, I, you're, you always seem to find the sexiest, hottest, greatest people. I don't think I'd have the same luck. <laughs> I'm sure you would. No, I really don't. I think I'd be single for the rest of my life. At least I got, to, I got kids, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay, so never have I ever and let you go. Yes, yes. Hey, Rocks, you go. Okay, oh, just want to let our viewers know to listen to Tori's Never Ever Ever, go to the audio. So go to iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts and download it because you are not going to want to miss it. All right. I played this game since I was a kid. Let's go. I love it. Okay. <laughs> never have I ever, ooh, never have I ever secretly liked a makeout scene on set. You know what? Come on. <laughs> Truly? Come on. I'll tell you why that's a never. I'll tell <gasps> okay. you why. I get skeeved out by smells and I hate, nothing turns me off more than kissing a guy when I can smell makeup on his face. <gasps> Whether I thought he was hot or not, it was always like an ick for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Well, the worst is like, they've put so much mint in their mouth and it just hides yes. the stinky stuff with the eggs. It's like, exactly. why eat the salad? Because they all go to the salad bar because yes. they want to stay obviously looking good for the sexy scene. <laughs> so they're eating like the salad and the cucumbers and the onions and the whatever. And then they've got all the, all the mint in their mouth. It just smells like, it just tastes like minty, minty onion. Actually, it was so funny because Ian, Ian Harding, when he came on the show, he said that he purposely would eat like garlic and onion chips and then kiss Lucy on set and just to mess with her. Typical. You know, totally. <laughs> okay, never have I ever made my boyfriend sleep in the in his car or outside or like told him to leave. Oh, I've definitely told boyfriends to leave before. <laughs> yeah. um, sleep in the car, though. I mean, I've had people sleep on the couch. 
That's mm-hmm. for, that's yeah. Yeah, but that's like in the car. Day. I'm actually like taking that now as an idea for the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Never in the car. Yes, in a Chicago winter. Yeah, yes. teach him. I always go like, get out of the house, and then they leave, and I'm like. I'm like, why did you leave? (laughs) Like you told me to. I'm like, uh, have you not understood women don't mean what they say? (laughs) I know exactly. It's like, you know, I'm leaving. This has been a really bad fight. I'm just going to go for a walk. And if they're like, okay, I'm like, no, you're supposed to tell me not to. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Why don't guys get this? They're supposed to say, I love you so much. Right. Do that. You're breaking my heart. Yeah. Every woman does the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, never have I ever drank too much and forgot that I made out with somebody. Yeah. Oh, ever. <laughs> oh, I ever. Oh, I yes. ever. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it's like the next morning. You're like, did I? Did I? Oh, yeah. Oops. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I once lost Ooh. a tampon. <gasps> Where? Where did you lose I don't that? No, but I hadn't had sex. <laughs> uh, hopefully, um, I hadn't had sex, and I the, I was 17, uh-huh. and I had the tampon in the beginning of the night. My <laughs> the next morning it was gone. I'm sure it came out bathroom i'm sure because my brother was with me so i'm sure nothing bad happened because this is like a road to like a story that wasn't meant to come out um, or happen but so and then i went to the doctor and they still to this day have not found the tampon could still that be in there a terrifying thing that is a terrifying experience that yeah. every girl dreads because you're like is it somewhere i can't find in me or did i do something ridiculous with it and yes. about to find it That's or you like or, or like you and i who have anxiety yeah, yeah. we think am i going to get toxic shock syndrome because it went up some weird pathway of the hole that like <laughs> the question That's is who did you right who did you wake up next to do you remember my brother <laughs> oh you did hold on hold on <laughs> my mom yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a different episode Roxy. yes yes that's that's a totally different episode <laughs> okay Roxy, okay never have i ever Ooh, these are so like kissy, kissy, Tamman. Never have I ever kissed a PLL guy offset. Ooh. Oh, no, I was with my ex-husband during that. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they flirted with you. No one flirted yeah. with me. Not one. No, the only person I ever thought maybe flirted with me was Julian Morris. But then I realized he just makes everyone feel like they're the center of the universe when you're talking to him and I was like oh I'm not special at all that's yeah, yeah. who he is he <laughs> just talks to everyone like that <laughs> you're like he really likes me okay right, do two like, more and, and her, let you go and her, and her. Okay. okay never have I ever stolen something oh. Ooh, mm, from look what at did you steal girl tell you us it, it's so it's so horrible when I was when I was about 14 years old, Mm -hmm. I would steal my parents' car before I even had my permit. And I would drive to the mall and I went through a little like week of like, I did a little bit of shoplifting for me and my friends. What was like the, the craziest thing you stole? I stole a Tommy Hilfiger jacket once. Oh my Girl, goodness. you 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 are <laughs> yeah. making up for all that karma. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. And, and since and then I got I was stealing a pair of Birkenstocks and this guy in the store caught me and he took the bag and he opened it <gasps> and 
he took them out and shook his head and I ran, me and my best friend ran. And to this day, I've never even like stolen a penny. And I don't even know where it came from. It was just one of those like stupid teenage things where it's like, what was I doing? Like, how did I think that was okay? But uh-huh. It was a face. It was a whole oh. embarrassing face. Yes, a little naughty. Gotta have your rebellion, oh, you know. Yes, yes. Okay, okay Roxy Sox, the last one. one. Make it good. Make it okay. Good. Okay, let me preface this by saying when Keegan came on the show, he told us that the last scene that he filmed with Ian, they went to a bar before they were <laughs> a restaurant before they filmed and they got totally plowed for like the last scene they filmed together ever. They were super emotional the whole bit. So my question to you is. Never have I ever, never have I ever gotten tipsy on set and then filmed. God, I wish I could say ever. <gasps> I've never. I know, never. Ever. It freaks me out. Really? It freaks me out too. Yeah. Because I already like, I don't drink that much anymore because I, I like, I get so insecure the next day. My anxiety, if I drink same, too much, is like same. on fleek. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I cannot do that. So if I was doing it at work, I'd be mm-hmm. so in my head, Mm-mm. but I wish I could be that casual. Just like, yeah. Right. Just like have a few, come back. Like if you're a, on a movie set and you don't have anything to say and like, right. You're like scenes after lunch and it's the last day I've done that before, but yeah. no, I, I don't drink as much either because the next day I just, it's, I think it's, you, you lose so many of your, B, your B12s, by the way, your B12, yeah. B6 and B3. So you need to take that after drinking. Oh, trying to help you drink more. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to be plastered all the time. Love your B vitamins. Okay, what is your drink of choice? Like when you go for it, what do you? What's your drink? I love. I love wine. Mm -hmm. I love a good glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Um, I love vodka soda if I'm out at a bar. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. And then if, if like, I'll do like a big girls night, maybe once every six months. And that's when like the shots of tequila will come out. Nice. Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah. I like the shots of we got to work you up to that. We got to get you in the shots. Oh, I used to do that all the time. <laughs> the problem is I now have children. Like a- I have a one-year-old. So like I wake up, but it ain't fun. It ain't fun no. having shots of tequila on the next day. Like, no. ha- like changing diapers. Uh, like that is not fun for anyone. No. If I was with my husband on or like even on a girl's trip away from my children. Yeah. Then, yeah. then I'd be okay. You'd be like game on. That'd There's be way too much. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to see this stripper. <laughs> I know. Hot mom stripper and pull number one. <laughs> I think that's a good calling card. Mom strippers. I'm yeah. sure no one would go. <laughs> I don't know. People are into some weird shit. They are. <laughs> but in, for, in general, mom strippers is not as good. They are. Calling for card sure. for us. <laughs> right. well, thank you so much, Tori. Thank you for joining I'm I mean, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we learned so much about you. I've always adored you. Um, don't you be too. a stranger. For um, sure, you too. Hopefully. Oh, I'm doing a massive road trip. Maybe I'll come past Chicago. We can. Oh my God. Lunch. That'd be amazing. Let yeah, me know so we leave, for sure. we leave in mm-hmm. a week's time when we're driving across America. <gasps> good for you. That's going to be so incredible. Oh, good. I can't wait to see the picture. It'll be so fun. Well, right. thank you so much, Roxy Soxy. Thank Have a good rest of your day, everyone. Thank Bye. You. Thanks, and guys. We are Women on Top Official on Instagram. And we are Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment. And I yes. am Tamin Sursak. And I am Roxy Manning. And we are Women, Women on, on 
唱。